When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast in association with Sport Pacer. I'm Phil Kirkbride, and today joined by Dave Prentice, Chris Beasley, and Paul Wheelock as we chew the fat over the major talking points at Goodison as we are in the middle of this 17-day enforced break from the action. But... As ever, plenty to talk about and sift through. Uh, we'll be discussing stadium, obviously a couple of fairly significant stadium stories this week and I'll be asking the panel if Everton are now talking more confidently and less cautiously about a move to Bramley Moor Dock as the weeks progress. Just before we sat down to record this podcast, Idrissa Guy has um, quotes from him have been merged from France. We'll be discussing that. Uh, we'll be talking about Tommy Gravison. Obviously, I'm sure you're aware a book about Tommy's wild, wonderful, and weird mm. career in life uh, has been published and released today. So we'll be talking about that. And something many of you have been reading uh, today, uh, we did a big piece on Henry Onyekuru, and I'll be asking the panel whether they think he's worth a go next season. Um Preno, we'll start with Bramley Moore Dock and the stadium. The two things that I re- refer to are the results of the first part of the public consultation, which came back very positively, um, overwhelming support from the city uh, for Everton's move to the waterfront. And the second one was the announcement of a, an extension, a new deal with retail partner Fanatics. But the sig- significance being that the club spoke about that deal extending to Bramley Moore and the creation of a world-class Retail space, mega store in mm. old money uh, at the new ground. Do you do you feel the club are very slowly slough, softening that that understandably cautious um, approach and wording about the stadium because of previous projects have fallen fallen down? And, and you know, do you think mm. now are they talking more confidently? Are you more confident that this will happen? To, to be honest, I, I've always been relatively confident, uh, just because of what we've heard from people at the club, you know, behind the scenes. Uh, you know, the mood music has always been quite optimistic, even if what they're publicly saying wasn't. Um, and the public consultation is the latest step in that direction. And I know, you know, to most people, it's so well, public consultation, of course, people are going to say they want it. But the club were very, very nervous and very, very apprehensive about that procedure. Um, you know, public consultations don't always go well. Uh, I remember speaking to somebody at the club about, um, I think it was when the, uh, the, the Isle of Man ferries went out to public consultation and 36 people responded. So, you haven't uh, misheard that. that is, yeah, 36, that's correct. On, on this one, we've got more than 20,000. <laughs> and uh, there was understandable nervousness as well that clearly, you know, the, the vast swell of Evertonians are going to say they're in favour of it. But they were concerned that the general public at large 
and you know maybe football fans from across the park you know so it might not have been quite so enthusiastic uh, but the percentage of people that declared non-allegiance to Everton was also very very significant you know so very much in favour of the stadium so they're obviously very pleased with the results that they got back and so as a result they are talking a little bit more confidently about it they're not going overboard I don't think they will we're not going to hear you know sort of bullish statements about yes we'll have it up by you know such and such a date uh, but everything appears to be going in the right direction and I still hear cynical noises from people you know we Liverpoolian and mates are telling me nah no chance you know, it's never going to happen uh, I've never heard that once you know sort of from Everton people at Everton people in influence at Everton uh, and I think I can understand why they're starting to just slightly get a little bit more confident about it I don't think they're going to be shouting it from the rooftops anytime soon but you know they're moving in the right direction and it's heartening mm. very heartening Bees you, you I always seem to talk to you about the failed projects and, and, and having lived through through yeah. through them all and 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 but are you confident you know especially given what the, yeah. you know what's coming out of the football club and I, I think you I think you've got to be because without being too bleak what's the alternative um I would dread to think if this didn't happen whatever wherever and would go from there but being more positive um, <laughs> that's a fair point yeah, no, yeah because in the early noughties Everton were all set for a Riverside move um, the Merseyside was front what for the last decade we've, has been the Echo Arena of course would have been Everton's home it seemed like a chance and a lifetime opportunity and it was feared that was a chance and a lifetime opportunity which was missed so to get something like this so relatively soon you know 15 years on um, it, it, it's a, it is, it's it's really exciting, and, um, and why shouldn't Everton have this? And, and everyone else in the Premier League who has needed a new stadium has more or less got that now. Tottenham are going to get theirs now. Um, you could argue whether Chelsea need one or not, but you know they've got plans to rebuild at Stamford Bridge. But everyone really who were in a similar boat to Everton who needed a new stadium has more or less got one now. So. Why not Everton? I would say this time it everything seems to have been done differently in the past. Those images were out. The images were out for Kirby. Images were out for King's Dock. Even Peter Johnson's one where the location wasn't even specified. It's like they've done things the other way around this time and have been ultra cautious, but hopefully they'll reap those rewards for the, for the diligence they've shown this time around. Relo, again, same question. Uh, how confident are you that this now will happen and... and how much have you been encouraged by what what is coming out of the football club? Listening to you guys and what you've been saying for a long time now, it does give me that confidence. I'm not going to lie, there's always a little cynical part of my brain somewhere like going, I'll, I believe it when I'm actually sat in Bramley Moor Dock. But, I, but I'm encouraged by the process. You know, I've, I've, every kind of step of the consultation so far, it doesn't look like the club are leaving any stone unturned. And I don't see the... I don't see the need for impatience or panic or rush with this because this is an actual real crucial juncture in the, in the club's history. And I think Gav said it could be like the most crucial mm. part in the club's history. So I, I quite like it that they've been cautious because this is such an important step. Uh, and probably the example of Tottenham, really. You know, how many times this season we heard different dates when they're going to move in and, and things like that. It, it's, pro it's proven that this isn't going to be easy. Mm. So I'm quite happy for the club to take it the softly softly approach but I, I'm, I'm really encouraged by what I'm hearing but how much are you looking forward to actually you know like as B's as B's reference we've seen designs before but the next the second stage of the public, public yeah. consultation in the summer the planning will yeah. will involve designs and we will see you know 
designs for the first time. I mean, do you are you still a buzz about that? Oh, I you- can't wait. Can't wait. I mean, uh, there's there's been tentative nods towards designs and you know the presentations that uh, Dan Mice made. You know, at the uh, St Luke's Church, um, but nothing you know formally you know, encompassing like, you know, a stadium plan. And he's had long enough now to absorb, you know, so all the ideas that are being put to him, all the messages, you know, the fans have been canvassed, you know, so in great numbers and told what they want. So I think they've got a pretty shrewd idea now of, um, you know, so what Evertonians want and what will make a really good stadium. We've been told so many times it's got to be, you know, the crowd on top of the pitch. Mm. It's got to be soaring stands. It's got to be something with a little bit of character and a little bit of history, little nods to Archibald Leach in there. There's like loads of little, you know, so ideas that have been planted, little seeds that have been planted. And you get the impression that Dan Mice or Misa, I don't know how you pronounce his name exactly, gets it, you know, so he's almost thinking like a blue these days and he knows what, you know, so Evertonians want. So, yeah, I'm very excited. Uh, no doubt, you know, the plans when they're announced won't please everybody. There'll, there'll be something in there that somebody will no doubt uh, raise objections to. But I think that they've been so long in canvassing opinion and they've got the ideas of everybody on board that I think we can have relative confidence that'll be quite exciting. I, I can't wait. Mm. You know, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. But he's just on on Dan actually, mm-hmm. and, and and it was last week when we when we picked this up, and, and just for those people listening who, who perhaps didn't see the story, Dan's other project, if you like, at the minute um, in Italy mm-hmm. uh, has, has received a boost recently. But there's actually similarities in terms of size and maybe we say maybe maybe the look as well. If people want to check that out, um, yeah, I, I imagine the Everton design will look a lot different than the Roma design, but there are certainly quite a few parallels there, mainly that um, it's uh, 52,000 capacity with scope to increase to 60,000. So it's it's more or less the same size as what the plans are for Bramley Moore dock uh, proposals, I should say. Um, and it's also obviously uh, an iconic Riverside um, site on the, the banks of the, the Tiber, no less. In, Sounds in, to me, but he's like an echo recce, this, isn't it? Preno? Just think about it. Yeah, and it's been, and, and, and like Everton's, it's not come quickly. It's taken mm. a few years, I think. It, it's uh, it's, been, it's been about four yeah, years. It's been a bit of red tape, it feels. Is that a correct assessment? Um, or? Yeah, there's, uh, been, there's been a lot of objections. I'm not too sure what the... Um, I think it's over um, both um, the, the funding and uh, the uh, infrastructure around the stadium. There's been various things, but it was last week the the mayor of Rome finally gave it the, the green light. So it's not been easy, and um, there's a lot of similarities to um, um, the Everton situation. But I think what Dan himself has, has said, obviously, um, it's um, it's very much for what Roma want and what Everton want would be entirely different. Um, it's based in in many ways on the old classical, the, the Colosseum, mm. this um, sort of a, a bowl, which is this, this prevalent style in it, in Italy, whereas you'd imagine, like um, Dave said, Everton's would be uh, rather different. It'd be the, the four sides, whether that's obviously got the, the corners as well, but it's not going to be bowl-shaped, I don't, I don't think, and it will have those, those steep um, stands mm. and uh, close to the pitch. So I imagine it will look very different, but overall, in terms of the size of the project and the location, there are, there are a lot of similarities. Well, just last one on, on the stadium. How important is it for the club, as, as, as Chris alluded to anyway uh, earlier, how important is it for the club to finally make this move when you consider that this week Sasha Ryzant's their board member has said that the challenge is for the club to reduce their reliance on the broadcast money, which is obviously a huge part. I think it's something like 69% of, of, of turnover. Uh, and that comes from two things. Commercial, which we know the club are, are trying to improve. And he said a new stadium. 
So how important, therefore, is it, amongst other things, for the future of the football club? Hopefully it would be a game changer in a way because when uh, Farhad Mashiri came in, we were probably all hoping that he could bankroll all the way into the top four and it's certainly proven in these last few years it's not that straightforward is yeah. it and a lot depends on your play recruitment and it does seem now with Marcel Brenton there we're going to have to box a little bit smarter than what we've been doing so maybe this the stadium can give Everton a bit of an extra edge I thought it was really interesting what you were saying there about like the megastore because I think it's something that maybe Everton have lacked a little you know in terms of you guys are no better than me in terms of like the, the commercial side of things I think you said it yourself then they've, they've got a little work, bit of work to do I just think it's I, I just I'm really excited by the, the, the everything about it because mm. to go off on tangent a bit one of my favourite stadiums in the world is the Millennium Stadium in Cardiff right. just that, the fact that it's in the city centre and I know this is a little bit outside yeah. of this, this centre but I just think it's just endless the possibilities about it and, and certainly from a, a revenue stream uh arguments you can imagine that it could really open up stuff for the club absolutely um we know that for uh, they mentioned uh player recruitment and we're going to jump uh down the agenda actually a little bit and talk about henry on yukuru uh everton are growing increasingly hopeful that he will be able to get a work permit this summer uh, playing for galatasaray in the champions league and last night in the europa league plus he's creeping into the nigerian setup um preno signed in the summer of 2017, the record summer of spending, but <laughs> one that perhaps lacked that clear strategy that we now hopefully have with Marcel. Um, is Onyekuru worth a go? He's an unknown. He's the mystery man, isn't he? And- well, we've only seen like uh, YouTube clips of you know goals and fairly dodgy celebrations um, <laughs> from uh, from his time in Galatasaray. Certainly, I know Belgium. He had uh, issues with injury. Uh, so I don't really know a great deal about him, I have to say. Well, that's but the thing, isn't it? Yeah. The, the good thing is that Everton clearly do. I know, you know, so the piece that you've done this week, you know, Marcel Brands indicated that the uh, the club have been watching him quite, you know, meticulously, um, if not in person every week, you know, so certainly, you know, so videos and tapes of the game. I think, you know, they've seen him a dozen times this season. They're clearly aware of what he's doing. And the fact that they are now quite confident about getting a work permit suggests that they think he's, you know, got a part to play Mm. in the club's future. It just, um, I'm not quite sure where he would fit in immediately because for me, you know, to use a bit of an old-fashioned phrase, he looks like an inside forward to me, rather than a, the out-and-out centre forward that we clearly need at the moment as a matter of some, you know, top-quality centre forward that we need as a matter of some urgency. Uh, you know, he looks, you know, more like the kind of you know role that you know, so maybe Calvert Lewin, maybe Richarlison, you know, sort of being playing someone that cuts in from the flanks. But you know, right side, Adamola Luckman hasn't made it his own. Theo Walcott certainly hasn't. You know, so who knows? But that, that's all for the future. The fact is, he's a young lad who's uh, progressed quite significantly. The club have been keeping tabs on him and like what they see. So, you know, fingers crossed things will happen you know, sooner rather than later because the work permit has been a big issue. And I know in the past I've suggested I uh, didn't have total confidence in ever seeing him in a blue shirt. Uh, sounds like, you know, so the people in, you know, influence at Everton are quite confident that won't be the case any longer. So fingers crossed, we'll see. But, you know, whether he's going to be, you know, so absolute sparkling talent, we'll have to wait and see. But uh, how much do you think, uh, how, sorry, how big do you think that the gap is between scoring 22 goals in Belgium's top flight and then going to Turkey and scoring sort of around, I think he's got less than 10 this season, yeah. to, to come into the Premier League? You know, I'm thinking of, yeah. of, you know, thinking recent examples maybe would would 
on yeah. both sides of that argument, but I imagine people would initially think, well, Tosin was yeah. the main man in Turkey and, and he struggled. Do you have concerns about that or do you think we've just got to give him a go anyway? Yeah, well, let's be uh, let's be brutal about it. It's it's, it's huge. The gap's huge, isn't it? It's um, you know, t- Turkish league is, is is decent, but it's sort of probably middle ranking, and the better players tend to be there either before or after a stint in the Premier League. Um, um, it the problem I see has been it's so crowded in that in that area for Everton. Dave's mentioned now, you know, Richarlison, Walcott, Bernard, um, Luckman. They're all vying for places, and I suppose other than Richarlison, no, none of them have entirely covered themselves in, in glory at times. So maybe there's an option there um, if, if he's over on on the other flank. Um, I think if you know if, if Everton are going to sign the players they did two two summers ago, well, they obviously see something about him, and you, you've got to give him a chance at, at some point. But it's just so congested in there. Can he make that place his own? Well, he's, he can only be given given a chance. Obviously, the potential whether Vlasic comes back or not, another similar sort of player. Of course, yeah, yeah. yeah so it's almost like an embarrassment of riches. I mean, without necessarily having the quality, there's there's the quantity certainly yes. within the squad there of, of options. So, but you know, without being given a chance, we'll we'll never know. Wheelow, obviously, Onyekuru will have been encouraged, no doubt, to learn that Everton, through Marcel and his recruitment team, have watched him 12 times this season, and Marco saying, yeah, I'm keeping an eye on him. But is he also going to have to be very mindful of the fact that he was signed neither by Silver or Brands, and he will have, you know, after the Africa Cup of Nations, which is expected to go to, which lasts June, probably a little rest... He's probably coming back to Everton realistically mid-July at the earliest, maybe. I mean, yeah. that's not a long time for him to to impress the manager, is it? No, to hit the ground running. It's almost like he could be tarred by association of the money that was wasted in, in that summer as well because, let's face it, a lot of the signings that Koeman and Walsh made then have, have not paid off. But there is something about him. It's, it's that mystery element, isn't yeah. it, that you, you really want to see him see him over here one thing you've got to say is if the worst comes to worse you'd imagine Everton would recoup more than the 7 million they've paid so the fact that he's had these two seasons away he's got a lot of goals in Belgium and yeah as B rightly said Turkish division is probably 6-7 strongest in Europe but it is with a, a, a large club in Galatasaray and he's playing Champions League football my concern is a, again I spoke to a, a Turkish journalist for another podcast we did and I, as an Evertonian asked about yeah. Anja Koru uh, and he said that he's more left-sided. He said he may play through the middle for Galatasaray because they're really struggling for a striker. But he said where he's performed best this season and scored most of his goals is on the left side. And probably... But that's only one person's yeah. perspective. He sounds like, as Dave said, an inside forward. And mm. a lot of those players can play both sides and go differently. My concern... Is, is he going to be anything different than what we've yeah. got? But does, does he improve us yeah. vastly in that area? Yeah. yeah, but he's scored a lot of goals, hasn't he? Yeah, and that's what Everton haven't got at the moment. I'm just intrigued to see him. It'd be great to see him play a couple of pre-season games, wouldn't Absolutely, it? Absolutely, yeah. Judge ourselves. Um, wasn't actually initially on the agenda, but the lads will be fully aware. Another lone player this week has uh, uh, come into the news just today, actually. Um, Luke Garbutt is obviously on loan at Oxford, Preno, and Carl Robinson, uh, Scouser, the manager down at Oxford, has actually said that Luke now needs to change position and become a wide man, a left winger. He was pretty up front and, 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 and fairly robust in his comments. It wasn't critical necessarily of Luke, but he, he was sort of saying to protect his frailties, yeah. which you referred to as defensively, I think. So we can't defend. You know, he needs to, <laughs> he he needs to, perhaps, left back. He needs to <laughs> perhaps move further up the pitch. Um, I wrote the, this week's Royal Blue column on Luke um, and, and I've sort of said, 
I don't think Evertonians can get their head round why it's gone wrong. Are no, you- it's, it's a strange one because, you know, the, the lad clearly had some quality. Um, I remember the row when Everton signed him at the time, you know, so Leeds felt that they'd been absolutely, you know, robbed blind. You know, they were absolutely appalled at the, uh, the, the figure Everton eventually paid for him. And he looked like he was, you know, a Leighton Baines heir apparent, you know, and that... Was it 2014, 15 yeah, or 15, 16? Yeah, yeah, when he, um, he made a handful of appearances and looked like he had all the attributes, you know, a, a lovely left foot, a great ability to, you know, sort of ping a good quality cross in. He's doing it in Europe, good, good, well. yeah, yeah, good, good, good set piece deliveries as well. So, you know, where it's gone wrong is clearly, you know, defensively, he's not up to scratch, which is why he's not been getting as many games as the autumn, which is why he's now playing, you know, sort of where he is. But. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is he 25, 26 now? He's, he's uh, 25, and actually, yeah. um, as, as I mentioned in, in the column, uh, he's actually by two months older than Luca Dean. Right. So you know, to, to me, that seems like a, a bit late in the day to be trying to reinvent yourself as a different type of player. And if anything, it sounds like Carl's being quite cute there, and he's just trying to attract a few suitors out there and saying, you know, so look, this guy's got qualities elsewhere. Whether he's got the ability to, you know, forge a career for himself at Everton in the Premier League, I'm doubtful. You know, certainly not at this stage of his career, which is a shame because you know, so clearly there was something there that never quite worked out. But it's been a theme at Everton, you know, so in recent times that players that initially make a real bright impression. Brendan Galloway is the other one that I always had high hopes for, who I always thought looked like he was, you know, so a talent in the making, and uh, it just fell away. So why they don't quite, you know, so hit the ground running, I don't know. Tyus Browning. Was one who maybe didn't have quite the same, you know, sort of hopes for because defensively he was always, you know, so sort of yeah. highly regarded, but the quality was lacking at the other end of the pitch, you know, so and you got you have to have both if you're going to be a top class, you know, sort of Premier League player. But these players, you know, sort of come in, had a little sniff of it and not quite been able to develop. I think Luke Garbutt, I think, well, I, I know for a fact because I was asked the question this morning, eight games he played, you know, so in the first team, um, and always looked like, you know, there was a bit more to come but didn't, you know, sort of press on. And he just underlines, you know, sort of how difficult it is to become, you know, sort of a Premier League regular. You can't just come in and make a bright impression. You've got to be consistent and you've got to do it, you know, sort of time after time after time and then season after season. Clearly, he wasn't capable of doing it. And uh, I, I can't really see him, you know, sort of making a career out of it at Everton, hopefully for the lads somewhere else. When, when he got the new contract in the summer of 2015, a five-year deal, it was widely regarded as good work by Everton because he'd been... Weeks away from his contract running out, he could have yeah. left uh, for nothing. Um, we, you know, did you ever have any concerns that it, you know, actually the promise that we were seeing was, was would not be backed up? No, not nothing like this. Mm-hmm. He was very highly rated at the time. No, you could say maybe it was wild speculation, but I remember it. Um, and the gossip columns that he, he was even an audacious bid from across the park for him uh, <laughs> yeah. at one point around that um, that summer. I think it was the summer, um, but just before he signed a new contract. Yeah, um, they, Liverpool were in need of a left back, and you know, they were casting an eye across the it park. Sounds like you've got, you've got a good agent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe that's what it was. But at the time, yeah, he'd he'd been solid enough. He'd been uh, decent enough when when he played, and it was like, again almost this embarrassment of riches. You had Leighton Baines, this great left back, had these two. Young, as you said, heir apparent vying to to succeed him, and it certainly looked like that the future was bright at Evan at left back. Um, and I don't I don't think he's actually um, played for the first team since he signed that contract. He's been 
loaned out to a, new, a number of different clubs. I mean, we were disappointed at the time. I think they didn't actually get a Premier League club that summer. Yeah, he ended yeah. up going Fulham, was it? Right. Um, yeah. And he sort of dropped down and down since. So it's, it's a real shame. That I don't think he's had any awful injuries or anything in that time. So it, it, it is. It's a real it's a real head scratcher because he should be at the peak of his powers now. Will, are you, are you are you disappointed that it hasn't worked out in that respect? I'm not particularly surprised. I know you, you never judge your player off one game, but I actually seen Luke on one of his loan spells when he went to QPR. I think it was the 2015-16 season. He was playing Blackburn away and Blackburn had a right winger called Elliot Bennett. And if you've anyone who's listening has ever seen him, he's just a pretty just average, but good to average, like uh, a yeah. championship winger. And he, he tore him to pieces. He was mm. left back that night and he actually got dragged off. I think the stats, uh, the records were shown within half an hour. Blackburn were 2 0 up. And I was really concerned because he looked like a defender who couldn't defend. A bit like Moreno at Liverpool, you know, like you wonder how he's actually got so far back when he, he, he clearly was better going forward. And again, it's harsh to judge him on that in isolation. But then you look at the other loan clubs he's been to and he's, he's never really kept a place down as there. So there's obviously talent there. The fact that he keeps on getting these other loan clubs. But when I read your piece from Carl Robinson, it kind of struck a chord, really. Mm. I, I, I'm not sure if he's a left back, which is quite surprising because when he did play, as the lads have said there for Everton, he, he looked pretty good. Speaking of left backs, Preno, Kieran Dowell left wing back this week for Sheffield United. <laughs> has he been reinvented already? I don't know. I mean, he clearly has, you know, sort of quality to deliver, you know, sort of, you know, balls in, you know, from that flank. Uh, it's not really worked out for him, you know, so where he's played as a number 10 or as a midfielder. I think the best spell he had, Nottingham Forest, they absolutely adored yeah. him there. And, you know, so they, they wanted to, you know, take him permanently. And again, Everson, one of those players that thought, well, there's, you know, a player in the making here. Let's not make a rash decision and let him go just yet. Uh, but left wing back's a strange one because, you know, Dal does seem like, you know, he has the ability to to make a career as a number 10, if not at the absolute top level. Mm-hmm. You know, so certainly, you know, so championship level at the very least. Um, another player who's a little bit longer in the tooth than you think, I think he's about 22, 23 now. And you expect him to be playing regular Premier League first team football. You know, so if you do have the ability... Maybe, you know, we'll see something that, you know, so we hadn't seen previously in this position. I'm just trying to think of players that, you know, so have moved around and changed positions. Uh, thinking of David Unsworth was a guy that started off as a centre-half and then sort of moved out to, to left-back, although he even played midfield and up front on one occasion, I recall. Uh, so, you know, so players do, you know, so sort of change positions you know, so late in life, but it's not, not common. You, yeah. you don't see it happening very often. And um, let's just see what happens, you know. So see, see if you know, something unveils itself to us that we've not previously seen in Kieran there. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Speaking of a player now who wanted to leave the football club in January, uh, address a guy, obviously. It was made very clear he wished to go to Paris Saint-Germain. The club rejected two offers, including one very late on deadline day. Uh, and B's, uh, yeah. he's been speaking in France today, we believe. Yeah, <laughs> apparently it's an exclusive interview for uh, L'Equipe uh, tomorrow. And a uh, little snippet has come out and talks about his disappointment at the dream move to Paris Saint-Germain uh, not coming to fruition. But he thinks it might not be over yet. Um, he's basically said that he's... he's going to do his best to, to, to play for a move this summer and he, he's seen that this elk of club as he described it these uh, big European teams are now interested in him and um, he, he's all for trying to fulfil that that um, move come, come the summer I mean it's classic isn't it um, um, 
break in the fixtures and uh, speak to uh, overseas <laughs> paper. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, think that um, he won't. You know, this will never go back to, uh, to to England. It's in French. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, but um, yeah, but I, I, I can imagine uh, if I was Marco Silk. Marco's been very um, kind about Adrissa and said, you know, he's going to be focused on Everton again now. You know, deal didn't happen, so you know, knuckle down and think about the blue. So. I can't imagine he'd be too um, pleased uh, reading comments like this. That's a good point, Wheelow. Yeah, if, you know, thinking it on that side of things, Marco, as Chris rightly says, has, has obviously defended the player, but has, has been very much, no, he's, he's been very professional. And look, we, we, we totally take that and, and accept it. But this won't, Marco won't be overly enthused, I guess, will he, to, hear, to see this interview's come out? I imagine it's pretty unauthorised, isn't it, as well? I can't imagine the, it's the club have <laughs> sanctioned this one, have they? Uh, yeah, it's you were quite great in the words. You know, I, you never like Lukaku had so much history for this, didn't he? You know, actually just speaking so openly about how he wants to move to a top European club. And it, I had a lot of sympathy for him because I did think that is a dream move to go and play with Paris Saint-Germain. You see how well they played without two of the star players in midweek against Manchester United. He may well have been playing in that game. So I had a sympathy for him. But I just wish, just stay quiet. Mm. You know, knuckle down. Do exactly what you've said you're going to have to do in that article. Prove why Paris Saint-Germain wanted you in the first place. And if you do that and play even better, I suppose there's every chance they'll come back in. But I just don't know why I have to do it. And at the end of the day, it wasn't Everton's fault. If Paris Saint-Germain would have offered 35 million, he'd probably be there now. It's just that they didn't value him in the same way that Everton valued him. I just wish he'd stay quiet. <laughs> no, it's, it's it's disappointing. You know, you don't want to hear players actively, you know, sort of advocate for a move away from Everton Football Club. But it's also difficult to criticise the lad for being honest. You know, so he's being quite upfront about it. Um, I suppose it, if you're, the, if, if, on the flip side, I'm just playing devil's advocate, yeah. Preno, you don't have to do the interview. No, you, yeah, exactly. You, you could, but equally, he, he does want to move. He's trying to keep it alive out there. What you can say in his favour is that since the move um, fell apart and you know his groin strain miraculously cleared <laughs> up and he was uh, included in the first team, his attitude's been top class. You know, his performances have been very good and there's absolutely no doubt whatsoever that, you know, he's, he's playing if not for the shirt, you know, or maybe he is trying to play to get away, I don't know. Uh, but his performances have been good and you can't knock that at all. That's all you can ask for, really. You know, if he's going to play to try and secure a move to PSG, Everton will benefit because we'll get good performances from him. And we've said in this room before, we've argued about whether, you know, Everton should let him go or should keep him. And I think I was very much an advocate of accept the, uh, the money because I think we can do better than Garner Gay at a man at his age as well. I think he's 29, he is. Is he, you know, so... You know, so maybe the time is right to start looking for other options. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's nothing to get too, you know, so wound up about. You know, we could have done without it, but equally, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. Um, Bees, it's interesting you mentioned it in your response, actually, because the perceived wisdom from France towards the end of the month in January was that this is a one-time-only chance for, <laughs> for Ghana um, and that in the summer PSG would have the time and perhaps shuffle the resources around and go for somebody, yeah. in inverted commas, better, perhaps younger. But, from what Guy's saying, he's actually now thinking that there might be a glimmer of hope for him and that he actually still may be able to force that move in the summer. Yeah, because that was almost like the, what seemed to be PSG's stance was, well, take it or leave it now. You know, this is, like you say, a, a once-in-a-lifetime offer. We come the summer, we might have different options, but no, I don't know if, if he's been given encouragement that they, they'll, they'll come back in the summer. He was certainly talking that way. And then he, he talks generally as well, almost like, well, if it's not Paris Saint-Germain, maybe another club of that stature. I mean, there were, there were whispers, weren't there, right at the end of Arsenal and Manchester City being interested. I don't know if there's anything in that, but mm. um, certainly he seems to think that if 
if it's Paris Saint-Germain, great. If not, maybe somebody else who can, I would imagine, offer him Champions League football, the way he was talking. Mm. Well, you know, we spoke about the fee that we were led to believe would have brought Everton to the table at the very least. What do you think, realistically, we could get for him in the summer? I think 30 million. Providing he does what he's started to do already and, and play to his highest level, or maybe even play the rest of the season, his best form of the season, really show what he's made of. 29 does go against him. But again, it's kind of like the Solanke effect, isn't it? Like, you know, 4 million would have been different, say, if they would have accepted the 23 million pound bid. It's just, it skewed everything, certainly over here for me. He's, if Paris Saint-Germain won him that badly, if Manchester City won him that badly, they have the money to pay that, you know. So I think Everton were... I'm with Dave. If they would have got towards 30 million in January, I think I would have sold him. But I just thought it was I just thought it was a bit of a mickey take, to be honest. Bad timing as well. It was well, bad though. timing, and I just thought, if you really want him, prove it. Yeah. You know, prove it. So I think he'd be gone in the summer, and I think Bees is spot on. I think that interview... He's not just talking about PSG there, he's talking about a top European club. So I think he's certainly angling for that move. And if we get close to 30, I'd be very tempted. Breno, so if we do sell Garnet Gay, uh, would you be happy if we replaced him with a player of Tommy Gravison's ill? I've never had Tommy down as a midfield enforcer. Um, wonderful character, you know, so I, I, I loved watching Tommy play. Um, it always brings a smile to your face, you know, so thinking back to him, you know, because stories about his, you know, so demeanour on the training ground and that, you know, legendary. And I always remember um, when he signed for the club and he was clearly a bright man, bright lad and he tried to get the other Blues fans on board straight away. And I think it was Alan Myers who was working for the club back then and he gave an interview to Alan where he said that, yes, I've been looking into the history of Everson Football Club and I know, you know, it's all about the, you know, the club's wonderful history and their record goal scorer, the great Dean Dickinson. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you know, oh, fair play for effort. You know, so he, you know, he was trying. He was trying. Yeah. And uh, I, what I do remember from his time at the club is that all the players that we spoke to then, and they were in the days when we used to be able to go down to the training ground, you know, pretty much every morning and every lunchtime. So you would, you know, so canvas views from the players a lot more frequently than you're allowed to nowadays. And to a man, they all raved about the quality he had. He was the best footballer at that club in terms of quality. Um, just had, you know, so real football brain on him. Um, um, a little bit, you know, so odd in his behaviour at times. I mean, um, oh God, uh, Baz's book mm. where he talked about, uh, you know, this is the, a club physio who was actually terrified to go onto the pitch <laughs> to treat him because he never knew quite how he was going to react next. Uh, he'd be screaming at him and shouting at him. Just just a, a, a bit of a one-off. And then there was always that bizarre story about it when Real Madrid signed him. And uh, the suggestion was that Lee Carsley was having such a great season that they actually got the wrong man. They were actually yes. looking at the other balls, you know, so yeah. uh, midfielder. Nonsense. I mean, Tommy Gravison, you know, was good enough to play for Real Madrid and did play for some time. Shame that, you know, when he came back to Everton for his second spell, he was a shadow of the player he was. Uh, just didn't show anything like the quality he'd had. But for two or three seasons, he was, uh, you know, so uh, a shining light in the blue firmament. He was a decent player and what a player that we'll always look back on fondly. Sure, uh our colleague uh, from the other side of the park, though, uh, Ian Doyle won't mind me sharing this anecdote when uh, Ian was 
with the Daily Post and covering Everson pre-season in America. Uh, Ian fainted one afternoon and, and the players were aware and he was in a hotel room uh, next to, I think, Tommy Gravison and they bumped into, into each other the next day and Tommy said, oh, I heard you I heard you fainted, Ian. Yeah, yeah, I did, yeah, yeah. He said, oh, my friend fainted and then he died six weeks later. <laughs> <laughs> and then just left it at that and walked off. Thankfully, Doyley is still with us, by the way. That, that, that sounds like Tommy. Yeah, completely. Um, Chris, when, you, when, when yeah. you know, Tommy is brought up, what do, you, what, what do you think, first and foremost, about his time at Everton? I was actually left wanting more because Dave mentions about what a talented play he was and I was looking through the book before... Tony Hibbert gives him the ultimate accolade, says he was... In the, in the book, uh, yeah. in the new book, Mad yeah. Dog Gravison, yeah. Yeah, um, most talented player I have ever played with, ahead of Wayne Rooney. So, I mean, <laughs> to come out with something like I that. Know, yeah. But, the, yeah, you just felt he was capable of so much more, in, in a way, in that he, he was so talented, and sometimes, because he was a bit erratic, he'd, 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 uh, he'd make um, the, the wrong um, decision or he'd overplay something. So, <laughs> like getting sent off on David Moyes' first quite, game. Quite, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. 20 minutes up, in, wasn't it? Like yeah, so, yeah, yeah there were up, ups and downs. But, um, I just I just wonder, surely Real Madrid couldn't have signed the wrong player, but it was intriguing that... Um, they supposedly brought him in as a defensive midfield holding man, mm. which was more Carsley's game. Whereas I think when people saw Gravison, they saw the bald head, they saw the fist pumps. You, you could perhaps be um, misled to thinking that he was some sort of um, def- defensive midfield enforcer or something when he actually was much more of a playmaker, really. Yeah, yeah he didn't tackle, or he couldn't tackle, yeah, you yeah. Know, as that red card showed. Um, but no, he had ability to drift past players. He had a great, uh, you know, sort of vision, and he was a top-class uh, penalty taker. Uh, you know, whenever you know we got a penalty and Tommy was on the ball, you were always pretty confident. Uh, that season, the uh, the 2004-05 season, where Everton finished fourth, and uh, he was quite integral, you know, sort of everything that went on that season. That was why when they allowed him to join Real Madrid in January, it was like a real, oh, really, what are you doing? You know, so moments. Um, but, you know, it, it was just, that was an absolutely bizarre season to sell a player of Wayne Rooney's quality in the summer, then let your influential best player go in the January and still finish fourth. Yeah. That was maybe mm. not quite Leicester City-style miracles, but, you know, it was still an incredible achievement. What? But Tommy was like part of everything that, you know, happened mm. in the first half of that season. Mm. He was, you know, as a top player. Fortunately, when they did get rid of Gravison, they were able to bring uh, Mikel Arteta yes. in, weren't they? So that's not yeah. bad. Indeed. Good choice. We had a conversation with a uh, Danish um, journalist who rang me up who see who was sort of asking me questions uh, in, in a short interview earlier is I think I think in Denmark they're a little bit bemused as to why Tommy Gravison is still this figure uh, that is talked about so much that somebody would write a book about him. Um, what would you have said to that question? Well, I haven't read the story, so I can understand why he's talking about him now. But he, he was, it's just, he, he was a personality around that time. And I think, I don't know whether it's football as a whole now, but certainly in, in this Everton team of recent years, it seems to lack those kind of, peop, you know, personalities, people who you really love, you know. And and he was that, but he wasn't just like a madcap Coltero. As Bees and David rightly said, he was a real player as well. I remember... One game, I don't know why it sticks out in my mind, but I think it was Villa at home. It might have been the game when Schmeichel scored, you know, no, he, he scored, oh, yeah. he scored yeah, the goal yeah. when he yeah. dribbled past yeah. about four and he players. he was just absolutely yeah. immense that day. And like, it was a really good Everton performance, wasn't it? Apart from the, the couple of late goals back. Uh, maybe that's Tommy Tendite. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, yeah, it's just, it's the personality he brought to the team as well. And I think for a number of years now, Everton have lacked players like that and, I say I, I didn't know half the stories that are coming out, but uh, I can understand why a book's being read <laughs> by written. Sorry, but Prem, that is he, he, he goes against the grain, doesn't he, Tommy? Of what 
you know, with the greatest respect, a lot of modern Premier League footballers are, are like in public and, and, yeah. and you know, he doesn't say things that are on script. He says what he wants and, 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 and the like. And Oh, totally. I, I remember, um, as I said before, we used to go down to Belfield every day and uh, you'd see Tommy turn up in like this, it was almost like a shoebox. It was, uh, I think it was a Datsun. Uh, uh, it was a green Nissan Micro. Called it was it <laughs> Nissan Micro then. It was a very, very small car. And, uh, you know, you'd see, I think at the time, Kevin Campbell had a Bentley Turbo. Uh, Duncan <laughs> Ferguson. Uh, Duncan Ferguson had something very similar. Uh, other players, had you know these huge jeeps and things, and then Tommy would like rattle through the you know in this tiny little car. <laughs> I remember talking to him about it once and saying, you know, so I'm not taking the mickey here, Tommy. I had a car very similar myself as this, but you know, so the money you're on, I would have thought, you know, so you could afford something a little bit more ostentatious than that. And he just said, why? Why would I have a you know so a car big enough? That does me. That's all I need. And it's just the kind of man he was. You know, it didn't bother him at all. And then you know, so obviously in his um, you know so post football career. Was the other story about the the porn star that he shacked up with as well? <laughs> married, which, I believe, yeah. Uh, or married, yeah. You know, so again, you know, just it didn't bother him in the slightest. You know, so that that's just you know what he wanted to do. He'd go ahead and do yeah. it. He was he was a, a very very honest, single minded individual. You know, so true to his convictions, and you know that's that's something to be quite uh, quite cherished. I would say. Well, according to the book, Preno, uh, it was a green Nissan Micra, and it was his winter car. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and according to. Uh, Super Kev, who's quoted in the book, he, uh, Tommy had told him that it was great for getting in the little spaces in town. Absolutely fair comment. <laughs> so yeah. there you have it. And, and there's also reference in the book that he didn't have overheads, he didn't like paying bills and stuff, and he he rented somebody's apartment and he was very minimal. And yeah. Oh, yeah, it's great. It, really, really uh, colourful stuff. But uh, but be just finally on Tommy, yeah. you know, and, and you mentioned, you know, the players that played with him, as much as they thought he was off the wall and, and a bit crazy, actually, he was a heck of a player when he wanted to be. Well, it was, um, it was just fortunate, unfortunate, really, that um, he was in mostly until that very last season a, a struggling side because um, I know uh, Walter brought him in uh, originally, didn't he? Two, was it two, summer of 2000? And for, for two and a half million. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Some signing. Big overhaul of the midfield that summer, um, if, I, if I recall. Um, obviously, a lot, a lot of changes there, was it? Um, Alex and Yarko coming in as, as well, and Nicholas Alexander. And by the way, just yeah. sorry to jump in there, yeah. but Alex Nyarko is a player that always figures in like sort of the worst Everson teams of all time. And that really winds me up there. Because you think about Alex Nyarko when he arrived that summer, you know, four and a half million, that was a big deal. And for. I won't go overboard here, but for three or four months, he was an absolute top-class player. That great goal he scored down at Spurs uh, in the 3-2 defeat. The back heel he scored in a, like in a pre-season friendly. Yeah. friendly yeah. Um, he was a player. And there was a suggestion by Walter at the time that he'd had some kind of religious conversion. Um, and they actually, you know, so he feared that he could injure, you know, so fellow professionals, you know, so if he carried on tackling the way in which he was tackling, and so he chose not to. And he, 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 was, he was an odd character. You talk about Tommy being odd. I mean, obviously Alex was as well. And uh, I remember, you know, he, he then went missing after his infamous, you know, so Arsenal walkabouts yeah, yeah. and uh, eventually came back to Everton. And I remember going down to one of the hotels on the East Langs Road to talk to him. And he was like, quite contrite and quite focused and a guy that clearly wanted to make, you know, sort of go over his career again, but something was missing. He wasn't quite the same player, uh, but certainly for two or three months, he looked like a player. He looked like somebody that, you know, sort of could have been, you know, sort of a real valuable Premier League footballer. And then you know, in true Everton tradition, something went horribly wrong, <laughs> but he was never quite the absolute disaster you know, he was made out to be, you know, so for, he start, started off promisingly and fell away badly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Right, uh, we will leave it there. Thank you all very much for joining us today and thanks to the panel, uh, entertaining stuff. Uh, remember, you can subscribe, rate and uh, review us on iTunes and the Acast app. And probably worth a mention as well, on February the 27th, Royal Blue goes live at the Baltic Market. You can get your tickets. Uh, an evening of quiz and Q&A hosted by Alan Myers. Myself and Prenna will be on the stage with Greg O'Keefe and Michael Ball, of course, our top columnists. So uh, get your tickets, get involved. It promises to be a really good night. Um, thank you very much for listening. This has been the Royal Blue Podcast in association with Sport Pacer. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.